to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. second reading is from Luke 22, which is a few pages after that first reading, from verse 47. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, but when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly.
Oh, it's great to be with you this evening on this uh, Palm Sunday. Traditionally in the church calendar, this is what we call Palm Sunday, the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And it so happens that in our series on Luke, we are here at Palm Sunday. It's not really a coincidence. We planned it that way, of course. Tonight, we've got a number of chapters to cover, uh, from chapter 19 through to about chapter 23. And so I thought the way we would approach this is is more thematically, to look at what is actually taking place here. And one of the the big themes that's taking place here is Jesus' authority and people's responses to his authority. Jesus' authority and the responses to Jesus' authority. So that's what we're going to look at this evening, uh, Jesus' authority and the responses. What we find out initially from Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is that Jesus really is the king. Jesus really is the king. Listen to these words. In verse 37, we've just heard them read. Now they came to a path down from the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of disciples began to praise joyfully, God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. And then they shout, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Now some of the Pharisees tell the disciples to be quiet. And then there's this lovely phrase, I tell you, if if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. I sort of have this cartoon picture in my head of stones crying out as Jesus walks by. It's the kind of reception you would expect for a celebrity. Um, earlier this week, I'm just putting this over here. Earlier this week, um, we had Roy Steiner come and speak to us. Uh, this, Roy Steiner. This is the guy with the glasses at the back, bodyguard for Mandela. It was a great evening. Monday night, we heard all about South Africa and the things that are going on there. He told this amazing story that he once took Mandela to the UK, to Brixton. You can see him there actually just in the distance and you can see Mandela in the foreground. When they got to Brixton, they were opening up a community hall. And the idea was that Mandela and Prince Charles would come out in front of the crowds and the crowds would wave at them and say hello and they'd go and greet a couple of people and that the entourage that was with them would actually go off into a bus somewhere and they'd continue on to the next thing. What actually happened was Mandela was such a star that people broke through the barricades and they surrounded him like this, so much so that they couldn't even get to the cars. Finally, they got to one car and Roy Stein had to run besides the car, fending off people from trying to get to Mandela. And then the story just gets funnier because they end up in a local police station, Prince Charles and Mandela, trying to find a cup of tea. It's just a bizarre story, and it, it sort of goes down in, in history for pol- secret police. It's this kind of scene that we're seeing with Jesus. The crowds are mobbing him. He's a celebrity. Everyone's saying, wow, here is Jesus, this great miracle worker. Look at all the things that he has done. And yet, there's something wrong about that picture, isn't there? He's not just... A celebrity. 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. This is not just any ordinary king, any ordinary celebrity we're speaking of here. Jonathan Edwards puts it this way, which I think is a beautiful way of describing Jesus as the king. So great is Jesus that all men, kings and princes, are as worms of the dust before him. He is so high that he is infinitely above any need for us. He is above our reach. He is above our conceptions. We cannot fully comprehend him. Jesus is the creator, the great possessor of heaven and earth. He is the sovereign Lord of all. His knowledge and wisdom knows no bounds. His power is infinite and none can resist him. His riches are immense and inexhaustible. His majesty is infinite and terrible, or we might say awesome. This is no minor celebrity we're dealing with here. This is the king of kings, the king of all the universe is here. And he's riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. Now to speak of Jesus in this transcendent or powerful way might sound a little bit foreign to us because often we don't speak like that of Jesus. We think of him as the man riding on the donkey nailed to the cross. But I think we lose something if we don't recognise Jesus' kingship. We lose an understanding of who he really is and what he really means and what he calls us to. It's been interesting to reflect on Marilyn Robinson's uh, essay on beauty and to think about what we lose when we lose awe and wonder. This is Marilyn um, Robinson. She's an essayist, a novelist, really hard to read, but she has some great stuff to say. And she says, We are part of a mystery, a splendid mystery within which we must attempt to orientate ourselves if we are to have a sense of our own nature. But we have lost the mystery of being. We are not so much in awe of one another these days. And we do not hesitate to deprive each other of dignity or privacy or even to deprive ourselves to deprive ourselves of them. I think what she's trying to get at is when we lose this sense of transcendence and awe, and particularly for the Christian, the king of kings, it immediately impacts the way we treat one another, the way we treat ourselves, and most importantly, the way we treat God. And as we begin this passage, Jesus is saying, we're being told, he is the king of kings, the Lord of all the universe. He's no ordinary celebrity. 
But what we also see as the passage unfolds and as these chapters unfold is people's responses to that. What they lose by not recognising Jesus is the King of Kings and Lords of Lords. We see the outright rejection of Jesus' kingship. And we see the betrayal of Jesus as a king by people failing to stand with him and stand by him. So come with me as we start to examine that a little bit further, thinking about the responses to this authority that Jesus has, this kingship that Jesus has. As I mentioned, there's an outright rejection of Jesus' kingship. Up until now, if you've been following us uh, through Luke, one of the significant causes of conflict with Jesus has been his association with tax collectors, with sinners, his behaviour on the Sabbath, um, Pharisees' desires for honour, um, his challenging of predatory greed, his, um, his challenging of people who neglect and oppress the poor. And if you've been reading with us and through Luke, you might be going, yes, I agree. It's wonderful that Jesus is associating with tax collectors and sinners. His behaviour on the Sabbath makes sense. His desire to challenge people about positions of honour, yep, that's a great big tick from me. His desire to challenge people about greed, that's a great big tick from me. His challenging about the treatment of poor, that's a big tick from me. But here, the issue becomes different. The issue becomes about Jesus' role and his claims. The issue is about the rejection of his claim to be king. Now the Pharisees, as you heard in the passage that we read, first started objecting to Jesus as king. But then that is repeated again and again by the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the Sanhedrin, and they all become the opponents of Jesus as king. Ultimately, Jesus is brought before Pilate on the basis of his kingship. And then later in the story, the rulers and soldiers will mock Jesus as the one who was supposed to be the Messiah and the King. All these people had known about Jesus. He'd done amazing things. He'd, done, he'd been involved in many different healings. He'd spoken into people's lives. People had been set free. But these people looked at Jesus' kingship and rejected his authority. Take, for example, what happens in chapter 19 when Jesus comes into the temple. As he comes into the temple, he begins to throw out all those who are selling things. And he says, It is written, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus says, I'm the king of kings, I'm the lord of lords, this is my temple, and you're treating it as a den of thieves. And then as the passage goes on, he goes to teach in the temple day by day. He asserts his authority. But what happens? The chief priests and the scribes and the leaders of the people, verse 47, were looking for a way to kill him. It's the outright rejection of Jesus' authority. He is not to claim he is king of kings. Well, as those of you who are familiar with the story know, things only get worse. As Jesus remains the king of kings and claims who he is, 
people start to reject him more and more. And we find ourselves in chapter 23 before Pilate. And the leaders accuse Jesus and say he was misleading our nation, opposing payment of taxes to Caesar and saying that he was the Messiah King. Hear those words? Utter rejection of Jesus as King. Pilate tries to step in and stop them, but ultimately there's the crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate gives in. And Jesus is crucified. What's the pattern? If we fail to orientate ourselves to Jesus as king, it leads us to fail ourselves, to fail others, to fail him. To deprive others of dignity and privacy to deprive ourselves of those things. A failure to recognise Jesus as king leads ultimately to this kind of violence. Now you might say, well, 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 I guess that was then, that's kind of different now. Well, the truth is it's not so different in some places. A number of weeks ago I was in Kuala Lumpur and I had the great privilege of preaching at a church there, um, speaking with people. And one of the things that happened is, on the day that I was there, they were announcing that one of the ministers that they were associated with had been kidnapped. Pastor Raymond, this is him in the background there with his kids and wife, is the sort of man who's been working with the down and out in KL. Uh, Those who are particularly needy. He was running a community centre and it was a community centre where he talked about Jesus as king. But some people got to hear about this and weren't happy with what he was doing. And so, just in the week before I got there, you might be able to see, this is off, off the video footage, a white car in the middle there. That's him. You watch the video, these black vans pull up around him. Some motorcycles keep going around, pushing other people away. They grab him and take him. It's over 50 days later. No one has any idea where he is. His car has not been found. There are vigils being held all over Malaysia for this man. And why? Because he proclaimed that Jesus was king. And those who did not recognise the authority of Jesus' kingship brought violence. Now I'm continuing to pray for that situation. I invite you to do that as well. It's pretty desperate. Obviously 50 days later things don't look very good. It doesn't seem like the government's been able to work it out. The Christian leaders there are devastated. And of course his family is in particular crisis. Now that's just one instance. I know there are many others as well. The failure to recognise Jesus as king can lead us down this path. 
Now, the truth is that may not be your experience or may never be our experience. But what we also observe in this passage is others who do not recognise Jesus' kingship. We're thinking particularly of Peter and Judas, or Judas and Peter. In both cases, they're close disciples of Jesus. They're good friends of Jesus, people that Jesus has chosen to be on the inner circle, so to speak. But in both cases, when times get difficult, when things become challenging in terms of following Jesus, when Jesus doesn't quite fill their expectations, when they realise they hadn't signed up to follow Jesus all the way to the cross, despite the fact that they'd seen him do marvellous things, proclaim he was king, they didn't recognise him as the rightful king. And they betrayed him. In Luke 22, we hear the story of Judas, numbered amongst the twelve. He goes off to discuss with the chief priest and the temple police how to hand Jesus over. Apparently, Judas thought that receiving silver was worth it to hand Jesus over. Who knows what was going on in his heart, what was taking place? Maybe it's the love of money over the love of Jesus. Whatever the case is, he betrays Jesus. He came near to Jesus with a kiss. And Jesus says to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Now we know the story as it unfolds. Judas actually throws away the money. His dreams and hopes are not realised in the handing over of Jesus. He's betrayed the King of Kings. Perhaps even more surprising is Peter's story. Peter is even closer than Judas to Jesus, as we understand. Jesus already said to him, you're going to deny me. He said, no way, Lord, there's no way I will ever deny you. I will walk by your side. And yet we find ourselves in a courtyard. And Peter was sitting around with others when a servant saw him. And the servant says, this man was with Jesus. And he says, woman, I, 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 I don't know him. I don't recognise him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I, I don't even know him. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking, well, he just got that wrong the first time. Maybe there was a bit of a mix-up. Maybe people didn't hear each other. But hang on, it, it happens three times. This is intentional. It's clear what is taking place. He's resolute 
in denying the kingship of Jesus, in denying even knowing Jesus. And as Jesus predicts, a rooster crows after the third time. And we hear Peter goes outside and he weeps bitterly. He knows exactly what he's done. In that moment, he recognises he's betrayed the king of kings. He hasn't stood up for Jesus when he was being called to stand up for Jesus. Now, who knows why? Obviously, there was fear. Perhaps he thought he'd be caught up with Jesus and thrown and flogged and crucified. Perhaps he was worried about being approved of by those around him and so he just didn't have the courage to stand up in the midst of people's questioning. And so he chose what seemed to be the easier path, the one that said, I don't recognise Jesus as King and King and Lords of Lords. I don't even recognise who he is. Now, for me, this actually comes closer to home. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself in those awkward situations. Sometimes it's, it's as I speak with people outside church life. Uh, maybe it's your workplace. Sometimes it's with my family, the extended family. Sometimes it was just with friends. And there's a moment where I can say, I stand with Jesus. Maybe I wouldn't say it exactly like that, but there's a moment where you can kind of own up to the fact that you're a Christian and that you're following Jesus. And then you find yourself in a place where actually, effectively, you're denying Jesus as the King of Kings. Like Peter, you're, you're worried about the consequences. You're concerned about what people might say. There's fear and, and your courage just deserts you. And afterwards, you just leave and you think, oh, what have I done? What have I done? I said I wouldn't deny Jesus, and I just have. I haven't stood up for him. I haven't said what could have been said. And like Peter, you find yourself weeping and disillusioned. Luke unpacks those responses for us, and I guess the question is, what do we do? How do we deal with that? What's the way forward? Well, I want to think about Peter a little bit more. And I want to think about what happens to him. We've seen the utter rejection of Jesus. We've seen the betrayal of Jesus by people who will not stand by him and recognise him as king of kings. What is the way forward? Well, I want to take to another gospel, to John chapter 21. And what we notice is that Jesus comes to Peter. It's a beautiful, beautiful scene. Jesus comes and has a meal with Peter. He sits down with Peter. Peter, the one who's been rejected. It's, it's after the resurrection. Jesus is alive. He's sitting there with Peter. And Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me more than these? Kind of a, it sounds a bit like a teasing question in some ways. 
And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then there's a second time. Simon, son of John, or Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus asks him a third time, do you love me? And listen to Peter's reply. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. What's that moment about? That moment is Peter saying, you are the king of everything. I recognize you as the king of the entire universe. You know everything. And what's so beautiful about that moment is the person, Jesus, who knows everything, who's the king of all kings, comes and speaks with Peter. And then he says, feed my sheep. Peter, in many ways, has been such a disappointment. He's failed to stand up when he could have stood up. But Jesus says, no, 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 I love you. And I want you to be my servant. I want you to feed my sheep. Now later on in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter theologizes about this moment and talks to us about what he observes is going on. And he says this, as he thinks of Jesus and what Jesus has done for him. He says, He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Notice that he entrusted himself to the one who... The very thing that Peter could not do Jesus has done for him. He couldn't entrust himself. He held back. But Jesus entrusted himself and did what Peter could not do. And Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sin, we might live to righteousness. And listen to these words. These would have been particularly meaningful for Peter. By his wounds... You have been healed. Peter knew the despair of doing the wrong thing. And Jesus is saying, he's saying that he knows Jesus has healed him by his wounds. And then listen to the shepherd imagery again. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd the overseer of your souls. You see, Peter came to understand that he could not have the courage by himself to stand up and to say, I stand with Jesus. What he came to understand is that he needed to entrust himself to the one who judges justly, to the one who is the great shepherd, who is the overseer of our souls, who knows who we are, who knows how we tick, who knows that we need courage and the ability to stand up for him. 
who knows that we fail and yet still comes near. This evening I invite you to recognise Jesus as the rightful king. The king of all the universe in every area of your life. And I invite you to stand with him. To be courageous. To stand up in those conversations that you're having with friends over Easter. I mean, Easter's the perfect time to be talking about Jesus. What's Easter about? Oh, it's about Jesus' death and resurrection. It's not about chocolate eggs. Okay, sometimes it's about chocolate eggs too. But it's about Jesus. What a perfect opportunity. I invite you this evening to stand with Jesus, not because of your own strength, but because we have a shepherd who is the overseer of our souls. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.